Amen. Good to see all of you, New Mercy 1 p.m. Um, here at New Mercy throughout this year, 2015. We've been focusing on a theme called Greater Things, and I know that uh, we've preached on this theme in various different ways, and I know even for each one of us, Greater Things could mean so many different things for us. But ultimately, Greater Things as in what is a greater thing that God has in store for us? What is a greater thing from God's perspective? And today, as we think about that theme, uh, we are looking into Genesis chapter 13, into this character named Abraham. And at chapter 13, he's at an important juncture in his life where he is just about to really fully immerse himself into the greater things that God had in store for him. And he finally sees it, and he's about to taste what those greater things are. So as we look into the scripture and into Abraham's life and as we seek uh, God's understanding and the lesson that God has for us today, let us just pray one more time as we invite the Spirit to join us. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, for you are a God who loves each one of us, is so gracious to us, and as you have done all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, a God who continually shows His mercy upon His sons and daughters. So, Lord, as we look into this account in Genesis chapter 13, as we look into Abraham's life, Lord, may You speak to us, may Your Spirit move us, that we may be able to see things of Your Spirit rather than things of this world. So, Lord, be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All throughout the Bible... It seems like God is always telling people, a group of people or individuals, to go somewhere or don't go somewhere. Right? God is directing people, character or groups of people to, yes, go to that place that I have promised, or no, don't go to that place. In today's scripture, we get to such a place in Abraham's life in Genesis 13, where God is also telling him, to go to one place and not go to the other. And oftentimes in the Old Testament and New Testament, a place that God called people to go and out of is this place called Egypt. And more often than not, God tells people not to go to Egypt, and we'll look into why, but there are times, few times in the Bible, where God does lead people into Egypt for a reason. For example, Moses in Genesis, where God tells Moses to uh, go back to Egypt. And it's because when Moses killed a man, right, and he left, he fleed. And uh, God was telling him, look, it's time for you to go back to land called Egypt with Aaron and bring Israelites out of slavery, right? And there are also times when God tells Jacob in Genesis uh, chapter 46, when he hears about his lost son Joseph, and his, the other sons who have sold Joseph off because they were so jealous because Joseph was the most favored son uh, by the father Jacob. These brothers sold him off to slavery, and he ends up with God's grace in Egypt next to the Pharaoh, almost becoming the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And when his brothers, because of famine, goes back to Egypt to get help and is, encounters their brother who thought they were, he was dead, uh, God calls upon Jacob, the father, to say, hey, you need to go to Egypt and meet your son. Joseph is alive. I want you to go and see 
that my promise to you, how I was going to use Joseph, is true. There's also another time in uh, Matthew, book of Matthew, where God calls Joseph, husband of Mary, father of Jesus, right, to go to Egypt actually for security, for, um, for protection. When they were in danger, God tells uh, directly to Joseph, take Mary and the baby, Jesus, and go into Egypt for hiding. But like I said, more often than not, when Egypt comes out in the Bible, it's a place where God is telling people not to go to. Get out of Egypt. Egypt in many ways symbolizes and represents all throughout the Bible a place of wealth and possession, place of idols, where people have uh, put more of their heart, more of their mind into uh, wealth, to power, to building a city of their own rather than God. And the same comes true here in chapter 12 and chapter 13 of Genesis in this character named Abraham's life. See, in chapter 13, where we come to is Abraham is standing in the midst of this east and west, wide open land. And as we read today, he's deciding with his nephew Lot which way they're going to go. But if we read chapter 12, it gives us a fuller context in which Abraham is facing the Lord and why he's deciding this with Lot the way he is. So let me go a little bit deeper into the context of in which Abraham is standing before the Lord in chapter 13. So let's go back a few chapters before. What's happening is God called Abraham that you will become the father of all nations, that your descendants will become like the, the stars in the sky where we can't count. And I will bless you and your family for generations to come. So get up and leave your homeland. So with that command, Abraham gets up, collects his possessions with his wife Sarah. He takes on his nephew Lot and they get up along with his servants and they move. Out from their homeland, breaking all the relationships that they've had before, leaving the land that they knew as home to go to a foreign place that they have absolutely no idea what to face. And yet Abraham, man of faith, gets up and leaves. So he leaves his hometown of Ur, he goes up north, and he goes northwest towards Canaan, where God promised him that this is the place where I will bless you. So he's traveling going up and down the mountain through the deserts, and he finally gets to this promised land, the land of milk and honey that God promised, where his descendants will take over the land and multiply, and forever he will be known as father of nations. Abraham gets to his destination, and you know what happens? He sees the land, and he realizes, this is not what I expected land of milk and honey to be like. He gets there, and this land called Canaan was full uh, of basically enemies of Israelites called Canaanites. They were idol worshipers. They come out over and over again throughout the New Old Testament that there were people who did not follow in the ways of the Lord, right? So not too welcome. He gets to this place called Canaan, and basically the, the place is 
almost being deserted. People are leaving because there's a famine in the land. There's nothing to eat. What do you expect when God said, leave, up and go, this promised land that you will go? In his mind, I'm sure he expected such great things where he can go and his descendants and his, his servants and his, his livestock can live and eat well and be comfortable. And yet when they get there, not only is he among the enemies of, of his people, he faces famine. Not only that, his wife Sarah is still barren and is with no children. And God promised him very specifically in detail, when you get to this promised land, this is the land that is promised for your descendants to come. So imagine if you're Abraham, you get there, and you're like, I finally, finally got here where I needed to go. And there's really nothing good about it. Sarah is still not pregnant. I have no descendants to come. The land has nothing to offer. It's in famine. People are leaving. And let alone, he becomes a wanderer that we see in the previous chapters. Even when he gets to Canaan, he has to move around here and there within the city because he doesn't own any property there. So look, when we look at Abraham and he decides, look, Sarah, Lot, servants, all gather here. Family meeting. Um, I know that I promised you something great because that's what God promised me. But clearly, it's not working out here in Canaan. So this is not the promised land. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Egypt, which is not that far away. He just had to go a little bit more southwest. And we're going to stay there as long as we can because Egypt is full of land full of wealth, a place where they can thrive. So Abraham makes this decision by himself and makes up a new plan and decides to go to Egypt. Now, we clearly know, reading the scripture, especially the book of Genesis, that this was not in God's plan. God promised him Canaan, not Egypt, that his descendants will multiply in Canaan, not in Egypt, So we know this is not what God wanted, but Abraham makes his own decision. Why? It's understandable. I mean, think about it. If you're Abraham, what would you do? There's no food in the land. You expected this amazing place, and there's nothing. And you have to wander around. There's no home. There's no home to build. There's no land. There's no property. There's no possession. There's nothing to look forward to. So it makes sense that Abraham would go to Egypt. And if I was him, I would have probably made the same decision. And oftentimes, that's exactly what we do in our lives, don't we? We get to the promised land, or at least what we think God called us to go to. We get there. We get this job. We marry this person. We start dating this person. We get to this place in our life where we feel like this is my calling. I know for sure. And we get there and we realize, wait a minute. This is not what I imagined this relationship to be, this job to be, this career path to be, where I'm living to be. We begin to see the holes. We begin to realize that our own personal expectation of what God was going to bless me with doesn't fit. So what do we do? 
we get nervous, we get anxious, we become fearful, perhaps even angry at the Lord, and we make our own plans. And we move out of the promised land. So as I would, as probably you would, Abraham gets up and moves to Egypt and takes a detour. And this is where things start turning and becomes much more interesting, perhaps devastating. Only a chapter before Genesis 12, Abraham gets to Egypt, realizing that he does not trust God anymore. I'm sure deep down inside, he still loves God. He knows God exists. He knows that God's been with him. But he's so disappointed at what had not happened in the promised land of Canaan that he has mistrust of the Lord and distrust of what God promised, and he starts making up his own plans. And when we get to chapter 12, as Abraham decides to go into Egypt, as he gathers his servants and Sarah, he comes up with his own plan. And his own plan is this. It says that in chapter 12, Abraham's wife, Sarah, remind you, they're both in their mid-70s, okay? But Sarah, it says, was so beautiful, so beautiful that Abraham was concerned and he was in fear. He was in fear that if he went to Egypt, because his wife is so beautiful, and once they found out that he was married to her, he was afraid that people would kill him to take Sarah as their wife, okay? So he starts making up his own plan on his own, which is, hey, Sarah, when we get to Egypt, look, you're beautiful, right? And it's funny because you think like, okay, this husband's subjective world, she's so beautiful that you're in fear that when you moved into a new town, people will kill you to take her, right? But in the Bible, it says objectively, she was so beautiful that his fear, what he feared the most actually comes true. Because he tells Sarah, when we get there, why don't we lie, tell people that you're not my wife, but you're my sister, so people won't kill me. But when he gets to Egypt, his fear actually comes true. Because she was so beautiful that people heard how beautiful she was and saw how beautiful she was. The word quickly traveled to the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh invited Abraham and Sarah into his palace. And says, whoa, you're so beautiful. I would love to have you as my wife. Who is she? And in response, Abraham says, oh, that's my sister. And in return, Pharaoh is excited and gives him lavish gifts to Abraham. Now imagine if you were him. You left a land promised land because it was in famine and there's all these other problems so disappointed you create your own plan you get to egypt things seem to go well but your biggest fear actually comes true let alone with the worst person possible pharaoh the most important powerful man in that region wants your wife as his own and you've already lied to his face that this is not your wife this is your sister and he receives all these lavish gifts from the Pharaoh. So imagine if you're Abraham, you go home that night. Imagine what you're thinking. I mean, imagine how devastated you would be. You didn't follow what God told you. You are about to lose your wife. 
And if you tell the truth, you might be in prison, let alone get killed. So you're stuck. You have this dilemma with your life on the line. And yet, God is so gracious that God still works in Abraham's life. And God actually brings this disease upon the Pharaoh and his entire family. So Pharaoh begins to have these, his own doubts, right? He's, his work, mind is working. He's like, wait, let's put these two together. I married Sarah, and all of a sudden, me and my family, who were healthy, are deadly sick. So he brings Abraham in again and says, what have you done to me? What is going on here? Explain yourself. And Abraham, in fear and trembling, has to tell the truth. Well, Pharaoh, um, I don't know what to say, but Sarah's actually my wife. I lied because I was in fear. <laughs> if you're the Pharaoh, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. So you lied to me, you bring all this disease upon me and my family, and now you want Sarah back? See, right at that point, Abram should have been killed, if not in prison. And yet, God's gracious hand protects him. And you know what happened? Yes, he's embarrassed. Yes, he's punished by the Pharaoh by being kicked out of Egypt indefinitely. But God protects him so that he not only gets Sarah back in one piece, he doesn't get killed, he doesn't get imprisoned, but on top of that, God's grace is so amazing that all the gifts and possessions that he received from the Pharaoh and that he earned while he was in Egypt, he got to keep when he left town. Isn't that crazy? I mean, sometimes we think God's blessing, we equate it to becoming rich and wealthy, and when we are wealthy and rich, God must be with us. We know it's not true. Abraham, in these, this phase in his life, could have been farther away from the Lord, making his own plans and deceiving people, lying, in order to figure out in his own mind how to work his life out, and yet this all falls inside and it fires back into his face. And yet, God lets him go out of Egypt with all the possession, all the wealth that he has maintained. And along with Lot and Sarah in one piece, and himself in one piece, they leave Egypt. That's what has just happened in chapter 12. So when we get to chapter 13 that we just read, Abraham had learned a great lesson. He had learned that when he doesn't hold on to his God, when he doesn't obey, he's in trouble. And he gets to this juncture in chapter 13 that becomes the fork in the road for him. You know, many times you and I have forks in the road where we have to make a decision. Do I go left? Do I go right? And if I go right, I can kind of imagine how my life to be. If I go left, maybe my left will go this way. And sometimes this fork in the road is huge. It's a massive decision. But many times the daily decisions that we make, it's not really, we wouldn't even consider it like a fork in the road. And as I see, as I imagine Abraham standing on like, top of this cliff with Lot, his nephew, that he brought with him all day from his hometown. Now that they're wealthy, and they're in this deserted land in between Egypt and Canaan, their servants are fighting because there's not enough resources. 
for their cattle and their uh, herds and people are fighting. So his servants, their servants and family members are fighting over resources that they have that Abraham's standing before the cliff and turns to Lot and says, look, nephew, I know you've been with me all along and I appreciate it, but clearly we have a practical problem here. You and I seem like it's going to be difficult for us to live shoulder to shoulder. So you know what? I think it's time for us to go separate ways. You're old enough. You're wise enough. Why don't we split apart? And what seems to be an insignificant decision of Abraham telling Lot, why don't you pick first? What we see in Abraham's life is that that seemingly insignificant decision sets him up for years to come and his descendants. What I mean by that is, many times in our life we make a what seems to be an insignificant decision. Do I go left or right? I guess it doesn't really matter. I just pick one, right? And if you think of it one way, Abraham telling Lot, hey, you pick first. It's okay. I know culturally I'm supposed to pick first because I'm the elder, but why don't you pick? Do you want to go east? Then I'll go west. If you go west, I'll go east. Becomes a foundation of blessings that gets poured upon Abraham's family. You know, um, in our own lives, too, there's many insignificant decisions that we make. And oftentimes, I see this when in counseling or in conversation with couples and singles, oftentimes a, a common conversation that comes up in place is, you know, how did you meet your wife, Hannah? Or among couples, we always talk about, how did you meet your spouse? And there are a few times, few occasions where the story is like, it, it's a dramatic story, like, love at first sight and crazy things happen, but oftentimes it's just, oh, I met her in a classroom, we started talking, and then one thing led to another. I met her at a retreat, or I met her at a mission trip, and we just started having this conversation, and I was interested, she was interested, dot, 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 right? If you think about even how you became a Christian, how you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, yeah, some of us have this crazy, dramatic story, but a lot of us have, if you go back in time, you probably realize, oh, I was just talking to this brother in Christ or this sister in Christ, or I was just observing my friend who happens to be a believer. Or it's insignificant conversations or decisions that we made later down the line can we see, wow, that really altered where I'm, I'm going to end up. Now, there's a, um, um, the Rockies, the mountain, if you go up, they said there's uh, two streams up in the Rocky Mountain that split up. And it's two tiny little streams. You can just see both of them before your eyes just splitting up. And one goes east, one goes west. And these tiny little streams seem like nothing, but this east stream actually goes to, uh, into Colorado, and it becomes the Colorado River, and they say it actually goes into the Pacific Ocean. And the one that goes west goes into California and becomes the Atlantic Ocean. So if you see from the one end, you can see how significant this change is. How that one decision in the fork in the road created massive changes in your life and your descendants to come. But at that time, was Abraham thinking that? Probably not. He was thinking, you know what? I learned a great lesson. 
I went through some struggles and turmoil in Egypt, and now I'm out of it. And I don't know why, I just feel called that Lot, you should decide first. And here we see a contrast between his nephew Lot and Abraham. A contrast is that one man learned his lesson, and the other one had a chance to learn his lesson vicariously, but he didn't. See, Lot was with Abraham from the beginning. He should have known. The mistakes that my uncle made... (laughs) When he decided to leave the promised land to go into Egypt, and he decided to lie and create all these stories, Lot saw what happened. Lot saw that he could have lost his wife, that their families could have just been broken apart or lost his uncle. And yet, when they stand before the cliff at their fork in the road, and Abraham says, why don't you pick first? Lot sees with his own physical eyes, and it says, he looked east, he looked west. On the east side, he saw a luscious land. And in fact, in the Bible, it says what? In verse 10, it says, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Lot was still stuck in Egypt. See, you see what I'm saying? At heart and in his mind, he's thinking, how do I gain Egypt again? How do I gain wealth? How do I gain a a place of comfort? Place where I can call home, where I can gain fame and possession and live comfortably. So when he looks and his uncle gives him the first choice, what he sees is a land that looks like Egypt. And he decides, that's where I'll go. He knew, Lot and Abraham knew that the land he chose towards Sodom, right? Sodom was not a great place. I mean, world-wise, earthly possession-wise, fame-wise, that is the place where you want to be, right? But they also knew the city was full of men who were idolatrous, that people who did not worship the Lord and who even persecuted people who worshiped the Lord. Lot knew that. But the land looks so good. It looked like Egypt. It's the city, right? That, that you can live. You can party. And you can, you can live your life as you freely can. And it has everything that you want. So Lot chooses Sodom. And what's interesting is if you look at the Bible throughout Lot's life, you see a progression. See, Because Lot knew how evil people in Sodom was, that this is not spiritually the the most healthy, ideal place to be, Lot doesn't go right into the city. Actually, we see that when he goes and moves towards the east after he has his decision with Abraham, it says he pitched his tent outside of the city. And then if you read on a few chapters later, it says he moved into the city. And then a few chapters later, we see he became a principal leader in the city. He becomes a government official in the city. We see this progression of Lot being pulled towards, right, land of, of, I mean, for the sake of what it says in the Bible, I mean, men who were there who were evil, who were not God-fearing, God-followers. And he 
knows that maybe perhaps I shouldn't become like them. So he stays on the outskirts and then he moves into the city and he becomes one of them. But in contrast, we see Abraham who learned hard way from what he has done in Egypt. He comes before the Lord and he says, God, I mean, I tried it my way. It didn't really work out so hot. So I guess I'm going back and what do you know? The land that Lot chose was exact opposite direction of Canaan, where he was supposed to go towards. So he picks up his things and he goes. And it says in this passage, what Lot and Abraham saw was the same. What they saw was land towards Canaan, and it says what? It says full of dirt. Or what they saw was uh, Canaan, the, the land was filled with dust. So in eyes of Lot, what he saw was dusty land, just went through famine. Why would I want to go there? There's nothing, nothing to be valued. Lot forgot what God had promised to Abraham and his family. And when Abraham decides, okay, Lot, you go there. I'll go here. He hears God again. And God telling him, it says, literal translation is, look, but literal translation is really, lift up your eyes. You see that? You see the dust? God says, your descendants will be numberless like that dust. And they will take over the land. And you will see blessings beyond your expectation and your imagination that I have for you and your descendants. And Abraham, in response, goes. And you know what's the most intriguing highlight throughout chapter 12 and 13 in Abraham's life is? When God calls Abraham to get up out of his homeland and go to Canaan, soon thereafter leaving his homeland, he builds an altar and he prays and worships God. God, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where you're sending me. I don't know what to expect, but I thank you, God, for you're a God who is with me, who calls me. I will obey. He worships God. You know, when he gets to the land of Canaan and he's disappointed, when he goes to Egypt and he suffers until the days he steps out of Egypt, there's not one word or phrase or sentence that talks about him worshiping God, praying before God, or checking in with the Lord. He's forgotten. Perhaps he's angry. Perhaps he's frustrated. Makes sense but he forgets to worship the Lord. And you know what happens right at the beginning of chapter 13 when he comes out of Egypt? First thing he does is, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord, verse 4. He worships God. He says, God, I made a horrible mistake. Now I'm coming back. I repent before you. Will you receive me and accept me again and show me that covenant and promise? And then you know what happens after God shows him? See that dust? That dusty land? That's the blessing. You will go there. And once he decides with Lot to split up, you know what he does? Chapter 13 ends in verse 18. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents 
And there he built an altar to the Lord. He worshipped. He worshipped before he left, before the covenant came, and he, he fully understood what the covenant meant. He lost sight, but when he repented, first thing he does is he prays and worships the Lord. And when he sees the covenant again, he prays and worships the Lord. How often do you and I come to a fork in the road where we have to make a decision? Small or big? Where we, we forget. We forget to worship God. We forget to pray unto the Lord. The God that gave us life and everything good that is in us and around us, we forget like that. Like spoiled little brats, we forget and we we say, Lord, this is what I expected. You didn't give it to me. I'm going to do my own thing. I got my own plans, you see. I'm intelligent. I'm smart. I got my degree. I know what I'm doing. And foolishly, like Abraham, we go to our own Egypt. And we worship whatever we worship. And we forget about the Lord. We forget to worship. We forget to check in. And we forget to pray. But how gracious is our God. That even in the midst of those times, God gives us. God gives. That when you repent and come back and we worship the Lord again, we see the light. We see the end of the tunnel, the promised land. The blessings that God wants for you and me. When's the last time you felt like you were in fork in the road and you had to make a decision? perhaps an important one. And you just kneeled and you said, Lord, I don't know where to go. Do I go left or do I go right here? Do I choose this job or do I choose that job? Do I move into that house or do I move into that house? Do I marry this person? Do I marry that person? Do I date this person? Do I date that person? Do I go to this school or that school? When's the last time when you genuinely came before the Lord and you worshiped and you said, God, I, I need you. I want you. Because I can't make this decision without you. Don't be fooled, brothers and sisters, of the things that's around us just because things are going well that we think we're with God. You know the truth. God knows the truth. God wants our heart to be at worship all the time. And when we say yes, when we yes to say to the Lord, yes, Lord, I want to receive your word. I want to move where your spirit moves. Then see, does it really matter if we go west or east, north or south? Does it matter really whether you live in a comfort of northern New Jersey or whether you can't find a job right now or if you're going to move into a third world country and become a missionary? No. If God is with us, you're holding on to the Lord, you will see the covenant promise that God has for you and the blessings God has in store for you. So I want to just challenge us today. Can we learn from Abraham's mistake? May we become men and women of worship in times of decision-making when you, you know, so many people come into counseling sessions with me and it's all about making the right decision or or dealing with the past decisions that was not wise in their life. 
But you and I know we, we, we need to strive. We need to hold on to God. Will you ask the Lord what God wants in your life before making your own decision? And I guarantee you, you will see your Canaan. You will see your promised land. You will see the blessings that Abraham tasted and his descendants to come. That same covenant and promise is for you and me as well. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you 